<laughs> so guys, welcome to episode 28 of the Humanity Jiu-Jitsu podcast. I'm here with one of the very few Marcelo Garcia black belts in Ireland, Paul Fox. What is up, Paul? How are you doing? Uh, it's great to be great to be here talking to you, Andrew. Mm. Well, man, it's a huge honor for me because whenever I go to Royal Grappling Academy, like I've said this on the podcast before, I love going there. It's always Roger that's fucking there. Like, you're, like, you're never there when I am, so I like haven't really <laughs> talked to you that much. Yeah, yeah, we 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 uh, try and split the nights between us. There was uh, the longest time there where we were both there the same nights all of the time, but uh, just to expand on the the nights that we could offer training. We, we started to split it up, which um, we were very reluctant to do because we enjoy training with each other so much. But uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's better for the members if we can kind of spread it out amongst the week. Mm. Not, not to mention, you, you're spoiling them with two really good black belts at the same time. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, different different styles, different styles. It probably confuse people more than anything else. Having, uh, they, if they listen to both of us, they'd be uh, at odds with themselves. <laughs> like i say i say use this grip no this grip like button heads and stuff yeah yeah well it's more like he'd be looking to squash people and i'd be looking to uh run around them until they get tired mm. Mm. i see uh one thing i'm always curious about each of my guests is like uh how did you get into martial arts did you train anything else before jiu-jitsu because i, I you... did yeah yeah mm. go on because you came up during the great Irish famine, not the potato famine, <laughs> the jiu-jitsu famine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah well, well, what happened was, um, I, I guess I was uh, 17, um, and I had done a little bit of Shotokan karate uh, just behind um, Zanzibar, what, is, what was Zanzibar there, uh, just off Liffey Street, uh, um, or Bachelor's Walk, I think it might have been. Um, and I did that for about a year, but I didn't like it. And uh, and that was from when I was about 16. And then uh, on Stevens's day, when I was 17, I got uh, beaten up at the bottom of Grafton Street there. It was a gang of, a gang of people came out of Mr. Burger. That was, um, it's now Burger King at the base of Grafton Street. And the Molly Malone statue used to be just there, um, just at the bottom of Grafton Street. And uh, I was standing there um, after taking some money out of an ATM and it was nine o'clock in the evening and this gang of lads came over and just started beating myself and a friend up. So um, I didn't like the feeling of being helpless. So uh, about a week later, I, I was just looking around for martial arts and I found the Bunjinkan Brian Dojo, which was a ninjutsu or Bunjinkan um taijitsu school up on parnell street um so i started training up there and it was it was purely because i, I just felt so helpless and so vulnerable just from uh, there was nothing i could do i tried to throw a couple of punches but ultimately just got just got beaten up <laughs> so um so I, I started training then and I, I was just training flat out i trained uh, every class they had and did that for about 10 years um so I, I did that with and with martin mccann i, I left bunjink and brian dojo and went off to france for a year with college and then when i came back i started training with martin mccann who was a jiu-jitsu black belt or a, a ninjutsu black belt under him but he'd also a, a strong background in 
some judo and a bit of boxing and uh, things like that. So it was more like a freestyle kind of fighting, um, which he called, uh, what did he call it? I can't remember what he called it. Shinden Fudu uh, School, I think. But it was, uh, yeah, I trained with them for a long time. And then when I was 27, I had my front tooth knocked out. So I'd done about 10 years in ninjutsu at this stage. And then I started, uh, I got my front tooth knocked out. And while I was getting the tooth replaced, I started doing uh, capoeira for a year and a half. Um, I, I used to do that just on Sing Street. And then I did uh, some judo and a bit of a bit of other kind of styles, like kind of kickboxing styles. Uh, and then eventually I found mixed martial arts over in Harold's Cross at SBG. So that was November uh, 20, uh, 2005. And uh, I, I went in there and just started training and uh, got beaten up by a load of young lads that were only training six months. And I'd been training for 10 years at that stage. So I, I decided that, Jesus, uh, I can either wake up and, and do something that's a little bit more applicable to everyday life, or I can continue doing what I'm doing. So I, I knocked, uh, knocked all the other stuff on the head and just started doing uh, MMA training and jiu-jitsu and wrestling Muay Thai in uh, SBG at that stage. Mm. Oh, God damn, man! I say you mentioned you mentioned every single martial art under the sun in that uh, grand tale. Like, um, yeah, well, I, I did a lot of. Uh, I, I kind of came from ten years of doing that kind of self defense kind of stuff where there was no competition. So, the, actually, the first competition I'd ever done in my life in any sport was only when I was. Uh, after I started doing jiu-jitsu and, and, and that kind of thing. So I was like 28 already at that stage by the time I'd started doing um, uh, any competitions. So it was a big uh, big adjustment for me because I, I was quite afraid and uh, like a little bit very, very nervous coming into competitions at that stage. Um, so I didn't, like that's some of my students say, oh, well, you did okay in some competitions lately. And I said, yeah, yeah, but like I lost every match in my first five or six competitions um, just got beaten by everybody and submitted in most of them. So uh, you have to start off somewhere. And I, I'd say just don't be too hard on yourself at the start. Just go out and get in there and do your best. Hmm. See, hmm. while we're on the topic of competition, do you prefer competing under a specific rule set? Um, well, I, I'm, I don't do... I haven't done any um, of those submission-only formats. Uh, I personally think that people just play to the rule set. So you, you can see it already with all of the Eddie Bravo, all of the last few Eddie Bravo things. People were just kind of scamming the rule set, just playing for a draw and then going for the sudden death thing. Um, and that's that's way more boring than a points match, if you ask me, because... Um, like people will just buy their time for 10 or 20 minutes and then do a sudden death thing. So you have to watch 20 minutes of bullshit um, for, before you get to something that like guys going from a spider web position or something like that. But yeah, I think it's, I, I, I don't mind the, the IBJJF rule set. I, I think it could be polished up a little bit um, maybe to get uh, like get advantages for submission attempts, like genuine submission attempts 
and uh, uh, things like that. I, I think some of the uh, advantages can be very, very subjective, and that adds a lot of there's a lot of dubious calls when it comes to um, some of the advantages. But I think if they promoted a little bit more of a um, submission focused um, format, I, I think that could work. I, I also Zen and those kind of things like the 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 sub the what are them the the series that's on in New York so the, the Kum, Kumite thing or um I don't know what it's called uh, the the one where they were having rounds and uh, Hanato Canuto had a few really good uh, exciting fights in it I like mm. I like those for myself I I like I'll watch IBJJF I'll watch some of the grappling things I'll watch ADCC but. Um, for myself, I like competing in the IBJJF real mm. sense. Nah, I totally understand. See, and since you, men- you mentioned the Daily Bravo Invitational there and people just like stall until mm. overtime, what's your sort of take cause on this? Because uh, later in July, they're going to have an event where it's just jiu-jitsu overtime. It's just like, it's just the overtime rounds where you start in the back. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, like, I, I think... I see that Tom um, Tom is going to compete in that, and I think that's great. Uh, I think he's doing super things uh, on the international scene. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that would be all too interesting, really, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, yeah, like, I like the action. I like the free-flowing kind of jiu-jitsu. I love watching people like uh, Hanato Canuto at the moment and... Um, like Lucas, Lucas Lepre and like people that are kind of have a well-rounded game where they're good from, they've got takedowns, they've got guard pulls, they've got sweeps and submissions and they're constantly looking to advance their game as opposed to kind of looking for an advantage and, and then just hanging on for dear life. Like I don't like that style, whether it's like, like really one-dimensional uh, matches I don't really like too much. Like people that are just kind of scamming, scamming the real set. Mm. Like I'd much rather a, f- a free flowing, really dynamic match. Uh, like that's, I think that's exciting to watch. Mm. Nah, couldn't agree more. So yeah, what was your first sort of uh, seminar in jujitsu? And do you remember who it was taught? <laughs> what, what was taught? Uh, what was taught? The, uh, I, I'd say the first jujitsu seminar. I was at would have been Rodrigo Medeiros, I'd say, um, and that was probably 2006 or seven, maybe 2006 sometime. Um, do I remember what he taught? Uh, no, I, it might have been something like a hip bump sweep to a Kimura or something like that uh, from close guard. I think it was something along those lines. Um, hmm. I could certainly tell you what the the most impactful jiu-jitsu uh, seminars I was at, the ones that I took the most away from and kind of uh, went on to shape how I viewed jiu-jitsu as a, as a whole. And they would have been early on. Um, I had the good fortune to go to a seminar with Cobrinha and that was really, really exciting and very good. It was just on that kind of free-flowing style and just how how thing, everything kind of interconnects and if something doesn't work you can go on to something else um like it was very 
it, it kind of showed how just the variety of technique you could you could apply in jiu-jitsu um so that was good uh, i thought my early in 2010 getting to train with hobson Moore that was uh vital in my development just because at that stage i'd always been a fan of uh Marcelo Garcia and the smaller guys, so the likes of Cobrinha, the likes of um, uh, Hobson Mora and other half guard players. So people that could, um, that were smaller, but had uh, a, a highly developed style and really, uh, so I, I, I was happy to train with Hobson in 2010 and really learned a lot about the half guard and and sweeping and getting submissions from just about anywhere. And uh, he's he's uh, he's very uh, he's very good like that. And mm. uh, and training with Marcelo then in, in 2011 that was that was just mind blown. And uh, it's great to think that I'm part of his association now along with Roger and that we've, we've both managed to get our black belts under that banner. So. Um, so. Uh, uh, See, so would you mind sort of elaborating on the sort of way you got affiliated with Marcelo in the first place? Because I'm sort of curious about that. Um, so in 2011, I I went over to New York with my, my with my wife um, for St Patrick's Day, and while we were out there, she went off shopping with her with her sister, and I went training in Marcelo's, and I was training with Roger for uh, a couple of hours, and it was only then. Like I've been training with him for two hours, and he just been grunting at me, and uh, like I, I thought he was American. I, I hadn't a clue. He he'd like a shaved head and like a real stern looking dude covered in tattoos, and uh, I was just like, oh okay, so what do we do now? And he just was like dish dash. So um, it was only at the end then he came up to me and he said, like, oh that was good training. Uh, where are you from? And I said Ireland. He goes, I know that. and I was like oh you're Irish too because like at that stage it would have been just like there wasn't it was only the start of social media but um like we would have just been on boards.ie and things like that and it was uh not I I didn't know I I don't think anyone in Ireland was aware that was there was a purple belt guy training in uh New York at Marcellos um and we just stayed in touch since then and then when he came back to Ireland, we, we started training together here. And uh, and then it was, I wasn't affiliated with anybody, but I had started um, uh, Royal Grappling Academy at that stage. So we were looking for affiliations and um, uh, he, he was just like, yeah, well, I'll reach out to Marcelo and see and see about that. Um, so that's, that's what happened. So it, it was a genuine relationship like Roger had already gotten his brown belt off Marcelo um, and he trained there for a number of years so it wasn't something that we just kind of went to the phone book and uh, and picked out Marcelo's name um, so, so that was that but it was great because uh, I, I think the relationship has really developed over the years um, with having over uh, some of the guys from Marcelo's uh, academy and I've been over there a few times um, with some of the guys and uh like I really, I, I think Paul Schreiner is the unsung hero uh, of of Marcelo's. He's he's just an amazing instructor and just uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. He's a real he's a real coach's coach, 
in that he, he breaks techniques down and teaches you how to teach them. Um, so he's he's very technical in his approach and he's very considered in in the words and vocabulary he uses when describing jiu-jitsu. And I think that that kind of passes along uh, and kind of relates every technique uh, at a deeper level than just saying, oh, do this, do that, you know. So I think Paul Schreiner is really somebody I'd like to emulate when it comes to teaching jiu-jitsu as a coach. Mm. See, while we're on the top of, of coaching and, and the like, see, uh, mm. what, what would be the first sort of technique you try to instill into your beginners class? Um, at the start is is just um, looking looking to control distance. Like I think that's the the first lesson is really just um, is just about control and range and distance because uh, everybody is just naturally aware of uh, distance or personal space. We'll say when you're standing, but uh, just getting that idea that th- there's levels of um, or of distance to control and um, and then just a technical stand getting back to your feet if you're knocked to the ground so I think that's normally the first thing that we start with is uh, looking at having good base um, and trying to be aware of where your opponent is uh, the distance between you and you and them and then getting back to your feet safely so that's kind of step one in class number one Mm. So, yeah, when would you sort of suggest for your, your student to compete and how would you help them prepare for a competition? Um, I think everybody is, is kind of individual, but I, I think like there's some people that may have been competitors all their life. Like they might be starting jujitsu when they're in their teens or in their 20s or 30s, but they might have had, they might have been competing in Gaelic football or soccer or swimming or whatever in some kind of arena for 20 years at that stage and um, so it, it they take to it like a duck to water and it's it's just it's nothing to them but then there's other people that may never have competed in anything um and to those people they may be more reluctant so i just try and encourage that encourage them to to dip their toe in it um within in the between six months and a year i guess like once you have enough knowledge to basically know your abcs of, of jiu-jitsu and know be able uh, be able to control different dis- uh, distances and have an awareness of each of the positions and how they fit together um, like at that stage you can kind of uh, go off and, and encourage them to compete but uh, i think and just to emphasize the fact that it's really just like another training session um, like in every training session, you might be doing four or five rounds of, of rolling. So in a match, like you're going to have, or in a jiu-jitsu tournament, you might have four or five matches, depending on the size of your division. Um, but you'll have a break in between matches. So it, it should just be should just be like another day training. I think it's good to do like smaller round-robin kind of tournaments at the start just to get that experience on the mats um, rather than paying for an expensive IBJJF Europeans and uh, getting knocked out in the first round and it's cost you a fortune so um, try and start small really. Mm. So yeah uh, do you have any specific requirements for uh, blue belt or any other grade? 
Um, like we don't have a like a, a a set curriculum. Like I know some schools these days have have kind of uh, proceduralized or formalized uh, a curriculum for each belt. Um, but I don't know. Like we don't really at our academy. So uh, and I guess because we train with all of our students ourselves like we're not at that stage where we're so big or is it that we that we wouldn't get to see everybody on the mats and at the same time like it'd be different probably like you see some academies where the head instructor probably never sets foot on the mats these days uh and they may be very far removed from from the actual students so to make a call on uh on whether or not somebody is ready to be graded they're kind of going on a set curriculum to tick a box to go oh yeah show me this technique show me that technique show me the other technique oh okay you can do that right you're you're the next belt whereas myself and roger are training with everybody every day um so we've a very good awareness of where people are relative to each other and we are constantly watching to see how people are picking up technique and where they need to maybe apply themselves in different areas or and see how they how they uh, shape up against other people of similar size and that uh, that next belt level so so we're constantly monitoring um but there's no there's no like uh technique one to five for a blue belt and technique six to ten for a purple belt or whatever mm. so it's kind of just um uh it's kind of just free flow Mm. Now I say that's the, that is a better way to do it in my opinion because you know you have like a you know how everyone's doing like on a personal level as well like mm. oh he's like struggling with this and that and all you know it's more show that you're invested more as well instead of just saying oh you can do this you can do this you can't do this do that again or something like that yeah and I mean kind of like probably with a lot of places everybody would have a similar backbone to what they're teaching like here you're going to teach a little bit of several guards uh so you, you might teach things like um a sit-up guard or a butterfly guard you might teach a little bit of spider guard you might teach a little bit of half guard you might teach a little bit of like lots of different positions um just to give people a, a feel for what's out there and then just encourage them to kind of explore themselves and um and, and kind of apply what fits fits for their game so um and I, I think it's good that we myself and Roger both have different approaches so uh we're kind of we're kind of a, an example there that there's not just one way to do jiu-jitsu so um so we'd we'd have very different styles um so it, it, you can kind of get like a slow and steady and methodical um way of playing jiu-jitsu like Roger or you might have something that's a little bit more erratic uh like <laughs> what i'm doing um now so yeah with your sort of coaching style would you sort of emphasize which of these would you emphasize most would it be drilling free sparring or specific rounds um so like myself and roger probably disagree on this as well as like uh he he doesn't like drilling too much i don't mind drilling um I think it's a good way to get uh, get reps in in a specific scenario. Like, but 
I wouldn't spend hours drilling. I never have. Um, but I do like kind of hardwiring or, or what do they call it? Uh, grease in the groove or whatever. Just making sure that you have a, that kind of uh, automatic response to certain um, to certain challenges. So if somebody is posting or defending in a certain way, that your reaction just becomes like second nature to you. So I, I do do a bit of drilling. Uh, I think uh, we we do in every class we do some um, like specific training. You know where you'd set up a certain scenario maybe it's passing from half guard or it might be escaping from mount or so we do do set scenarios like that and i think a lot of training in that narrow kind of frame uh, is very helpful for people developing um, a specific in a specific area because if all you're doing is just free rolling uh, the whole time uh, people just go to the ray game the entire time, so you end up, you you become very good in a very, uh, in, in a very narrow pathway. So if everything's going your way, you're laughing, but if it all goes to shit, um, you, you could be facing one person who's good at passing your a game, and it doesn't matter how many times you face them, you're only going to go with them probably for five minutes every every odd day, you know. Whereas if you set up a specific situation and you get 20 people coming at you um, with a different style or a different way of solving whatever the problem is, uh, you, you'll end up developing a, a lot better around that certain area. Mm. So. Uh, that's a pretty good way to look at it, in my opinion. So yeah, what would you say is the most important value you've tried to instill in the, your gym environment? Um, I, I think it's... Uh, there's probably two things we perseverance just like training can be tough at times but um i think we've got a, a good collective learning mentality in the gym like there's nobody like we 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 emphasize treating everybody with respect in, in training and um that we do have a laugh on the mats um but I think it's it's all comes back to a basis of knowing that we can't do this alone. Like jujitsu is not an individual sport, although you get out what you put into it. But unless you've got training partners, you're not going to be doing very much. Um, so I, I think everybody is is 100% invested in kind of helping all the people around them uh, get better. Um, and because of that. Uh, everybody is is, is kind of developing all, all on the same way. Like, there's no point in coming in and beating up the same person you beat up every day. Like, uh, unless you you throw them a bone and and show them what they're doing wrong, um, you're not going to get better either. So, I, I think that's kind of what we try and do. Mm. So yeah, do you have any advice for people who are hoping to open their own gym in the future? Like a sort of do's and don'ts sort of list. Uh, yeah don't <laughs> um, <laughs> no um, I, I think uh, I think if you're opening your own gym if it's something you really want to do um, yeah by all means go and do it uh, I would say it's probably uh, a good thing to talk to your own coach um, and talk to maybe some other people in the area because it is uh, 
it is a small community. There is enough room for for everyone to kind of co coexist in the space. Um, but I think kind of opening up next door to another gym or like trying to create some kind of aggro just for the sake of it is, is probably not going to benefit anyone in the long run. Um, and then like I, I think if you're setting up a gym is try to think about it. it it's not just uh, don't be narrow minded just because you love jujitsu does not mean that you have the God given right to set up a gym. Uh, if you love jujitsu, you, you got to think about it from another perspective and how do you teach jujitsu? Uh, you got to think about uh, like a basic business mindset. Like, so what do I need to succeed uh, to keep this going as a business? Um, so you like, it's not always going to be, uh, a bed of roses it's not always going to be easy it's not always going to be uh or just you and your pals hanging out having the crack in the gym like there are bills to pay that you're going to have to maintenance on the building um like there's a lot of other things that you probably haven't considered um that goes into running a jiu-jitsu gym there's chasing up leads there's trying to advertise there's so it, it's a lot bigger than just rolling uh 25 30 hours a week it's it's a lot bigger than that like there's 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 a lot to be considered hmm. uh so guys we reached a segment of the podcast i like to call around the specifics just a bunch of random questions some about jiu-jitsu some arts about jiu-jitsu so do you want to do a round of specifics paul yeah go for it uh, hi oh, it's like, yeah. well, what would you say is your favorite gi in your collection if you have one um I, I i love we partnered up with manto there uh, a couple of years ago um and i have to say i'm i i really love their their gaze um i think they're they're very comfortable and they have a great fit so i like my manto gaze and from old school um i have a an old corral gi uh it's probably a bit small for me now it's, um but that's uh, one of the ones I wore in early competitions, so I like that, but I, I rarely wear it. But uh, I think my manto gaze are all the ones that I wear on a daily basis. Mm. So, yeah, who would you say is the most famous person you've rolled with besides Marcelo and Paul Schreier and all them? Besides them? <laughs> uh, most famous person? Jesus. I don't know. Like, the, there's been no Aston Kutcher or... Uh, uh Keanu Reeves or anything but um I guess uh I don't know like I, I've rolled with a lot of the people that I admired in the sport like I've rolled with Braulio Estima I've rolled with uh Marcelo with Ricardo Vieira he's an amazing coach um one of the founders of Checkma uh I roll with him in Brazil as well he's he's pretty good Fabio Grigel has beat, beat me up um so yeah, like in my trips to Brazil, I got to train with a lot of uh, a lot of the superstars out of Alliance Gym as well, like Bernardo Faria and Tarsus Humphreys and uh, like Lucas Lepri of Bowen as well, and Bruno Maffasini. So all all those Alliance World Champion guys, uh, they they were very good uh, training partners, and they kind of just toyed with me a little bit. Mm. So yeah, uh, you did roll up Bernardo, right? Was that a huge yeah. order for you? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, he's uh, a super nice guy. Like, uh, I was at Alliance Academy in Sao Paulo in 2011, and uh, Jesus, it was, it was great training now. And he, he was just a super nice guy. He was like running across the road. He'd say, Hey guys, yeah, yeah you want to go for some ice cream? Yeah. So I was like, uh, Yeah, Bernardo is a super nice guy. And that was before he'd moved to America or anything like that. So it was, um, he was he was just on the cusp of uh, becoming the international superstar he is these days. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a, he's a super nice guy. Man, that that sounds like a fucking comedy skit. Fucking Bernardo Freya running across the road and then asking you to want to go for ice cream off yeah, Happy yeah. Death. I'm like, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's uh, yeah, he's, like, he's, he's like a he's like a big big kind of Labrador or something. Like <laughs> golden Retriever. Yeah. Or a, or a Labradoodle or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you say? What was your first video game console? What was your favorite game in it? Video game console. Jeez, I'm old, so uh, it would have been like a like an Atari, uh, one of those Atari consoles forever ago, where you're just playing Pong. Um, but uh, I guess Nintendo, the the. Of course, I've had all Nintendos, that's all. Uh, I don't play video games that much. Uh, but like Nintendo, like Mario or one of those games, something like that. Hmm. So yeah, what would you say is your most embarrassing injury, whether it be jiu-jitsu related or non-jiu-jitsu related? Most embarrassing injury? Well, I had a staph infection in my knee that required, I had to get that scooped out looked like an oyster in my knee it was so that was that was pretty nasty uh and i got my i got mala finger as well i got i got squashed by i was sweeping one of our students tom o'crian and uh as i swept him he landed on my finger so it was my own fault really but he just snapped the tendon on my finger so yeah, those two probably oh so, yeah, if you could if you could ban one guard or position from competition, what would it be and why? If I could ban one guard uh, or, or position or whatever. Um, I don't know. Like I'm I'm kind of live and let live. I I don't really I, I just see them all as different kind of different challenges. Like you think about 50-50 a while back, uh, everybody thought oh stalling and now just about everybody has a little bit of 50-50 and they've come up with all sorts of rolling back takes and funky stuff off them. So I think uh, like it just presents a challenge today and then tomorrow somebody will figure it out. Well, I, I guess um, warm guards sometimes can be like a bit of a pain in the arse trying to deal with. But uh, or do you know what? I, I hate the lockdown just because I hurt my knee uh, in competition with that. So maybe mm. the lockdown, maybe the lockdown. Man, I thought you were going to go on the worm guard tirade. Like, uh, see, because when I first met Roger, he fucking sneered me about using the lapel guard. Yeah. Oh, no, I play with the lapel. I play with the lapel. I <laughs> uh, you know. So, yeah, do you have any nicknames in the gym? For different students? No, for uh, yourself, like, do you? Have for me? Mm. No, I'm sure I have my own nickname. It's just that, yeah, I'm just foxy, so... I don't know. There's probably something else that they'd be calling me behind my back. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Let's see. What would you say is your favorite song to roll to? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I like. Uh, 
Yeah, myself and Roger both have kind of old school tastes. Um, although, so we'd listen to a lot of Led Zeppelin and stuff like that, but where we differ, he'd listen to a lot of kind of stuff like Tool and that kind of shit. Whereas I'd be more into, uh, I do have some dance music in there, some old school kind of like, I don't know. Like, uh, I like, uh, I like Mr. Scruff. That's who I like. I like listening to a lot of Mr. Scruff stuff. I'll put mm. that on and roll for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, if you had a time machine, where's the first historical period you'd go and why? Uh, I'd love to go back. I'd love to go back and talk to Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I've been, over the last probably five, six years, I've been reading a lot about Stoicism and things like that. And, I think that'd be a really interesting time, like, uh, like looking at the the Roman Empire and how how there was all like like different wars and conquests going on, but they also had engineering like aqueducts and uh, like just I just think it'd be a very interesting time for how how people were thinking about things and relating. So I think yeah, uh, that'd be interesting. See ya. Uh... I, I just had an idea there. If you did go back to see Marcus Aurelius, would you bring a portable DVD player and a copy of the movie Gladiator with you? <laughs> no, I, th- I think it'd be good to bring back the book Meditations and say, here, th- did you actually write this or is this, uh, th- or did somebody else kind of just pawn it off as yours? Mm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, while we're on the topic of Marcus Aurelius, do you have a favourite philosophical quote? Um. I like Winston Churchill as well. Uh, so I, I think uh, the one I like from him is if you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, so I think that kind of, uh, I think that's a good one, uh, especially you can relate, relate it to jujitsu. There's no point kind of just sitting there and hoping it'll stop. It's just uh, fucking keep doing something. Just uh, do something. Do something is better than nothing. Hmm. So yeah, what would you say is the worst movie you've ever seen in your entire life? Oh, Jesus. Uh, fuck. Uh, worst movie. There's only one movie I walked out of the cinema to, I think. Or there was two. I walked out from the Tin Red Line um, years ago, uh, which is a, is, a, is a World War II movie or maybe, yeah. But it was like around the same time as... Um, Saving Private Ryan came out, which was an amazing movie. And, and and then I went to see The Tin Red Line. Oh, man, it was so fucking slow. I had to leave the cinema. So that's, <laughs> one that's, that, that's one that sticks out as like a really fucking boring movie. Um, but now I haven't went back to have a look at it as, a, as an older person. So I don't know, my, my thoughts on that might change. Mm. Uh, well, fair enough. See, we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it. Okay. So, yeah, would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger? Uh, cure, cure cancer or solve world hunger. Yeah, I think I think hunger. Um, because that that'll touch everybody. Like, uh, cancer, yeah, would be a noble cause. But uh, I think I think everybody if everybody got a meal, that that'd be good. Mm. Not to mention, maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer, so maybe. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So, yeah, in your personal, professional opinion, do you think 
think you could rock a handlebar mustache? Oh, I have. I've had I've I've had plenty of different mustaches over the years. Um, handlebars is not one of my favorite. I'd rather just because it requires uh, maintenance. So I'm all about reducing maintenance. So that's why uh, if I'm gonna have a beard, I'd rather just have a beard as opposed to one of these manicured kind of manscaped efforts. So <laughs> I'd rather just, and, and that's why I, over the years I've, I've went from being an absolute hippie with hair down to my shoulders to shaving my head. But uh, it's only been a recent thing where I've actually been gone for haircuts. Whereas before I would have just grew my hair for years, shaved it all off and started again. <laughs> uh, but, uh, if you became president of earth what's the first law you'd enact uh, don't be a see you next tuesday i know uh, yeah, just try and I, I think uh yeah i don't know first law you know probably something like, along the lines of uh just because you have an opinion doesn't mean your opinion is valid. Um, like, I think, uh, yeah, probably mm. something like that. To, just to listen to people with more expertise in a certain area. Yeah. I think uh, at the moment, like a, a lot of people uh, have become very vocal on topics that they've no business talking about. Um, so I think, uh, like, just because you have a social media account doesn't mean that your opinion is. Um, is better or like it should be listened to more than somebody who might have done many many years in college studying that that particular topic so that i think they might have a little bit more in-depth knowledge than than you do mm. uh, i bet you i bet you they would they would like to hear that they're like well that's all just a conspiracy so they make yeah, people yeah. think they're like shut the fuck up on them yeah yeah, I, I, I think I, I think like there's probably a little bit less deference to to people in authority as a whole in society these days. And, that, and that's fine. But I think um, I, I think we should still be listening to people that are a lot more knowledgeable um, in certain areas. Um, there are some things where your opinion is valid, but there's a lot of things that are based on fact. And if they're based in facts, well, then listen to the facts. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what would you describe as your jiu-jitsu spirit animal? Uh, a fox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, well, a fox is an adaptable creature. Uh, it's an omnivore. It can live on nuts and berries or fruit, or, but it can also live on animals. It's kind of a little bit uh, adaptable. So I think that's, I think that's what I try and be in jujitsu. It's not um, just trying to, try to be adaptable and use your head to solve a problem rather than just kind of, being bullheaded and, going with one route. Mm. So yeah, uh, have you ever uh, seen those people who have pet foxes and stuff? That's pretty weird. Really? She's, yeah. Uh, she, fucking hell! I I I don't think um, I don't think I'd be able to after a pet fox uh, you should hear what they say like when you rub them and stuff they, they make the weirdest noise <laughs> i know i, I haven't uh, i haven't looked at that all right so we've reached the last question 
Are you ready okay. for the last question? Ooh. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned from all your years of training jiu-jitsu? The most important lesson? Mm. Um, uh, I guess just uh, listen to the teacher. <laughs> Uh, well man it's pretty good because like it's like what you said about people who are like they know what to talk about since they spent years like honing their crafts you know they obviously know what they're mm. talking about mm. well that's, that's the thing like with uh like with like with anything if you're if you're paying to kind of learn from somebody's expertise like going to college or anything um so if you're paying to listen to somebody's expertise, um, I'd say go in there and ask questions by all means, but kind of listen to what's being said and and practice the technique that you're that you're being shown. Um, I think over the years I've seen I've seen it very often uh, where somebody will, will rock up to class and they've learned something on YouTube and they just keep trying to sidetrack everything into oh but but what about this uh what about this inverted spider heel hook guard and you're just like just just do the hip boat sweeper <laughs> you know like uh, it's kind of like people are yeah they they just they're not willing to to listen sometimes mm. all right so guys we've reached the end of the podcast and uh do you, do you have anything to say before we shoot off, Paul? Do you have any Instagrams to plug so people can uh, follow you and stuff? Uh, um, well, we have Royal Grappling Academy on Instagram, and we have um, uh, mine, I think, is... I don't know what it is, actually. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it is... Uh, the, hold on, I think it's FoxBJJ, I think, is my Instagram. Uh, look, I'll, I'll have it in the description anyway for anyone who wants to see it. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And then... Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, you can follow us on rga.ie is um, is the website for the gym as well. So I think, uh, yeah, it'd be, be good to have anybody out there who wants to drop in and do a little bit of training. Um, by all means, just drop by. Um, any visitors that are coming in from another academy, there's, there's no fee. So uh, you can always pop in and say hello and uh, try a class. That's, that's everyone's welcome and then so do you have anything to say before we shoot off uh, no just uh, I'm looking forward to get back to training um, so we haven't been training since the 12th of March now so, so but I have been able to uh, practice my ukulele so, uh, <laughs> so that's that's one of the benefits God damn. Uh, so it's something that I had I had on the back burner for a long, long time. Uh, uh, that, was, that was a so. nice that was a nice surprise. Yeah. So there's there's always there's always an upside. <laughs> okay. Uh, so thanks a lot, Paul. Everyone, hope you enjoyed the episode. Oos.